And you're listening to Eye in the Triangle here on WKNC 88.1. It's Election Day, November 8th, and I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. This week, there's lots to talk about. Nick Savage reports from the headquarters of the NC State EcoCar team. Jake Lengua has prepared a story about the GLBT Center here on campus. There will also be a story about the Defense of Marriage Act and what students here on campus have done to tackle this difficult issue. We will also have a brief interview with Dr. Sheila Smith-McCoy about African Awareness Week. There will also be This Week in History, Calendar, and Sports. But let's start with weather from B-Ab. Tonight in Raleigh, the temperature won't drop below 55 degrees, making tonight the warmest night of the week. Wednesday will be partly cloudy with the temperature dropping slightly from today to just under 70 degrees with lows dropping to the mid-40s. Thursday will be slightly windy with a chance of rain. Temperatures will remain the same with highs in the upper 60s, lows in the upper 40s. On Friday, the clouds will finally clear, leaving sunny skies but also lower temperatures with highs in the 50s and lows reaching 40 during the day and 34 at night. Saturday will be partly cloudy but warmer than Friday with highs in the 60s and lows in the mid-30s. Sunday will still be cloudy but warmer with highs nearly reaching 70 and lows around 40 to close the weekend. Monday marks the warmest day of the week with highs exceeding 70 and lows at night in the mid-40s. For Eye on the Triangle, this is the weekly forecast. Thanks, Bree. And... I can't wait till next Monday when it'll be nice and warm. Now, it's hard being a gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgendered student here on campus. Other students don't always understand what's going on in their heads. The GLBT Center serves as a refuge for students who need support that they may not be getting elsewhere. Jake Lengua made up, met up with some members of the center and has this story. In a school of over 33,000 students and counting, you are likely to run into a variety of different people on any given day. Scattered throughout this diverse community are members of the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered community. I recently sat down with Chris Jackson, an active member of the GLBT Community Alliance, a student organization acting on behalf of those who do not identify themselves as straight. When I sat down with him, one of the first things he informed me of was that he worked for the GLBT Community Alliance and not the GLBT Center, as I improperly referred to his organization as. While they do work side by side, they are two distinct organizations. Here's what he had to say. Technical difficulties here on Eye on the Triangle. We'll be back with that story in a moment, but first we're going to go to discuss the Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA, which has become such a hot-button issue here in North Carolina. Recently, the student senate here at NC State came up with a bill of their own to discuss the DOMA, as it's called. Jay Tomlin has prepared this story to try and see and let us know what's going on. On September the 13th, the Senate and the North Carolina General Assembly voted 30-16 to 16 to approve a change to the state's constitution to define marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Called the Defense of Marriage Act, the issue would be voted upon North Carolinians in a special election on May 8, 2012. The NC State Student Senate, in response to the legislature's action, formed their own bill called the North Carolina Equality Act. The bill states that the NC State Student Senate doesn't support Defense of Marriage Act and doesn't support equality. Here is Harrison Doe. A student senator in Cal's hopefully will send a strong message to our student body, uh, our faculty and staff, and our alumni that we support all students here at state, regardless of their sexual orientation. Um, it will not prevent the amendment from being placed on the uh, May ballot, but it hopefully will send a message across this university and downtown to the Republican majority that enough is enough and that any kind of discrimination uh, will not be tolerated um, in our state's constitution. For Cal Senator Alex Compton, the bill has deep ramifications across campus. The student senate debated for several hours about controversy and confusion over the Defense of Marriage Act. Alex Compton gave an explanation to what 
led to this. There was just some confusion about the bill. I know we had a forum that discussed uh, the ramifications of the bill. However, only one side was represented. So some of the senators uh, were a little kind of misinformed, they felt, because there was only one side represented. So I felt like a lot of senators wanted to get feedback from both sides before making a uh, decision on this bill. The vote reflects the atmosphere on the Senate floor. The vote was telling of the Senate's attitude. I think there was a bit of division. <clears throat> the uh, official vote was 29 for, six, to, 6 against, but 11 senators abstained and 11 were missing. So it, it was debated for over two hours. A big question that comes up to mind is whether this is a religious or civil rights issue. Senator Doe and Senator Compton don't see eye to eye on this issue. Is this a civil rights issue or both? Why can't this be a religious or civil rights issue? This debate really has nothing to do with religion. At the end of the day, it has everything to do with civil rights and making sure that all North Carolinians are protected under state law. I believe it it is both. It is a religious issue as well as a uh, civil rights issue. The institution of marriage began as a uh, religious institution, so there's no separating marriage from religion. They are intertwined. The Defense of Marriage Act shows how there is deep division on this hot topic across our state. While we won't know how North Carolina feels about this bill yet, it's time to start looking at this issue in more depth in the run-up to the statewide vote on May 8th. For On the Triangle, I'm Jay Tomblin. Lots of exciting happening going on here at NC State in the next week. Bree Ab has the community calendar. On November 12th, the Grains of Time, North Carolina State University's all-male a cappella group will be performing in Witherspoon Center Cinema. Concert will be held from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. and will feature the Packabells as their opener. Grains of Time will be performing covers including The Beatles, Queen, Bruno Mars, and Adele. The NCSU versus Clemson homecoming events begin November 13th and last until game day, November 19th. This week's events include Valentine Commons kickoff held in Harris Fields from 4 to 6 on Sunday, the 13th. On Monday, the 14th, the university will be giving out pizza in the Brickyard starting at 1 p.m. in honor of Wear Red, Get Fed Day, followed by Paint the Town Red on Hillsborough Street. More information on homecoming events can be found on North Carolina State University Calendar of Events page. Alan Cohen, a distinguished professor of photography at the School of Art Institute of Chicago, originally from High Point, North Carolina, will be holding his photography exhibit from 12 to 8 on Wednesday, November 9th. The exhibit will be displaying a theme of natural, historic settings and modern perspective. This event is open to the public and is being held at the Gregg Museum of Art and Design in Tally. Thompson Theater will host John Cheek, a guest pianist, on Thursday, November 10th from 7 to 8.30. He will be playing Coleridge Taylor Perkinson's jazz-inspired Third Sonata and will be giving a brief lecture on his life as a musician afterwards. Tickets can be found at Ticket Central before the event. Right on the triangle. This was the calendar of events. Thanks, Bree. And now we're going to go back to the GLBT story, unfortunately. Uh, the technical difficulties pr- uh, postponed it but did not prevent it. And so here it is. In a school of over 33,000 students and counting, you are likely to run into a variety of different people on any given day. Scattered throughout this diverse community are members of the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered community. I recently sat down with Chris Jackson, an active member of the GLBT Community Alliance, a student organization acting on behalf of those who do not identify themselves as straight. When I sat down with him, one of the first things he informed me of was that he worked for the GLBT Community Alliance and not the GLBT Center, as I improperly referred to his organization as. 
While they do work side by side, they are two distinct
whatever happens, certain feelings expressed. So we definitely spread a message um, of acceptance. We let people know that you know, this small incident happened, and we're going to respond by having a rally and showing our support and you know, handing out holiday bands, which we did, just to show that overall we are a campus of acceptance and you know, we, we love all our students no matter you know, how diverse they are. So how was the response from school officials regarding the vandalism a few weeks ago? Our school officials were very, very supportive. Uh, we did hold a rally um, a few days after in the brickyard, and state government was kind of a accommodation with the GLBT Center on that event. Um, campus administration and school officials, it's just been amazing um, to see you know, the promos and the Chancellor of Student Affairs and everyone just come and share their support at the rally, to speak at the rally, and to help us spread the message that this is an ideas of NC State that unfortunately these were a few individuals that you know, are more tolerant to the GOAT community but that as a campus together that we are very inclusive um, or very diverse and accepting of you know, gender identity and sexuality and so it's just been awesome to see all the support and, you know, on the official level with NC State that we've seen in response to the um, incident Finally, is there anything about the center or the community that is not self-evident that you would like those not involved in the community to know about? You know, there's always going to be certain misconceptions and stereotypes that we have to deal with, and, you know, we just try to diffuse them. You know, a lot of people think of us as just a group of gays that just socialize with each other and we don't really do anything and we try and, you know, have our own group. But really, we just want to be known and we want to be accepted. I mean, that's obviously everyone's goal is to be accepted. And we just want people to know that our sexuality does not change us as people, that we are still, you know, scholars at this institution, that we are your classmates, we're your friends, um, we're in the community just like everybody else is. And so, you know, it's always a big thing when we can see education and awareness in a greater community so that people, you know, just feel more comfortable about the GWT community and they can talk with us and learn from us and hear our stories and just know that we're a part of their community as well and NC State. Well, Chris, um, thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, that was very enlightening. Thank you. You're listening to On the Triangle here on WKNC 88.1. We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm here with Dr. Smith McCoy from the African American Cultural Center. This week is African Awareness Week uh, here at NC State's campus. And uh, I wanted to kind of talk to you briefly about what that is and what that means to our campus and what that means to the Cultural Center. Great. Thank you for having me, Chris. I always appreciate being on your show. Sure. Um, so as many of you know, the African-American Cultural Center has student organizations that are part of our home here. And one of our student organizations is actually sponsoring this week's worth of events, the African Student Union. So as a part of this process, they'll be working to help our campus sort of de-essentialize what Africa means. 
most people will name Africa as if it is a country in line with other countries. Oh, I went to England and Africa as if there is no culture, cultures that are specific to the African continent and different in many respects from each other, though they do have some things in common. So part of what this week is about is to raise that kind of awareness of what Africa is. Other people sort of think of Africa as a poor space or a space where everybody is the same, forgetting about the fact that Africa has huge cities like the rest of the world. And many people always think about Africa about war, forgetting about the fact that many wars on the African continent are actually driven by desires of other people for diamonds and other kinds of resources. So hopefully people will have an opportunity to join us in this celebration. And we can sort of get beyond some of the things that have seemed to plague our campus about understanding race and racial difference and heritage, in fact. Expanding on that, um, what, what kind of issues is the forum trying to address in the next week? Um, giving people an opportunity to see Africa in a different light. All the students alive with the African Student Union are students who really are wedded to the idea of Africa taking a central space in our idea of what the world culture is all about. The African Student Union also includes um, people who are of African descent who were not born in Africa, as many students, as well as students from many African countries. So it gives us an opportunity to be in rich dialogue about Africa and what has been going on. So some of the things that we'd be doing this week, uh, we'll, we've already started on Monday. We started to celebrate culture on the brickyard. We'll be looking at the idea of invisible children, children who are engaged in warfare. Um, that will happen in a program tonight, which I hope people will think about coming to at the African American Cultural Center. And um, among the uh, other events that I think are useful, they'll be screening Serafina a uh, film uh, very much about apartheid culture in South Africa prior to uh, the all-race elections. Uh, interestingly enough, it stars Whoopi Goldberg as one of the primary people, but it is a film that helps us to learn about the power of education and how when people really take control of how they're being educated, that they can really change their realities and the realities of the rest of the world. And um, what should I ask you next? I, I don't know. I'm glad you said that, though, because there are a lot of people who don't know about Africa and why it's important to come. So there may be some of your listeners are thinking, I don't know, this will be a good opportunity for them to come into the fold. And they can find more about that at uh, the African American Cultural Center website? Yes, the African American Cultural Center website and also African Student Union has flyers all around campus. And they can also give us a call at the African American Cultural Center and we'll be happy to fill them in on the week's events. Dr. Smith-McCoy, it's always a joy. And you too, Chris. Have a great afternoon. And you can find out more information about the African Culture Center at their website, African American Cultural Center, at their website, ncsu.edu slash AACC. Now it's time for sports. So I'm here with Corey Smith to talk about sports. I heard we won this weekend. Yeah, kind of a big game this past weekend. Uh, obviously, the game against UNC is important every single year, but this year was a little, there was a little more importance on it simply because if they won this game, there was a, there was a much better shot at them making it to... Uh, the uh, to a bowl game to having bowl eligibility so obviously it's a big rivalry game it's important every year and unfortunately neither team's offense really showed up but uh, UNC's offense didn't show up at all and they ended up not having a running game at all uh, the defense really bottled them up on the running game and forced two interceptions on Bren Renner when he was forced to pass so it ends up looking like an awesome game for NC State, 13-0, first shutout that they've had since 1960 against UNC. And obviously fifth straight over, uh, over UNC in general. So what do you think this means for Tom O'Brien? 
So obviously before this game, uh, Tom O'Brien was was having a little bit of difficulty with the media. It seemed like everybody was kind of looking at him as you know not really fulfilling his job requirements uh, for what he was supposed to be doing. And with this game, you know it's a big rivalry game, like I said. And when you get that fifth trade, and when you get a win over UNC, it, it does a lot for the fan base, and it really gets the fan base back behind you. He did a lot of that last week with all the comments from Everett Weathers. And he, you know, um, I guess you could say fired back at him and really backed the university as well as his own players. And I, I think that showed a lot uh, in post-game interviews. There was a lot of the, the players for NC State, both defensively and offensively, saying, you know, hey, we know this guy's got our back, and that's that's really comforting. And we went out there and really wanted to play for him. So you don't get that with a lot of comments that are made. I, you know, I don't think UNC students would have been saying that about Everett Withers with his comments that he made last week. But with with Tom O'Brien coming out and saying some big bold statements and really firing back at somebody, and then coming out there and showing up, and his defense shows up, his offense shows up enough to get a win. wasn't an impressive performance, but you do have uh, James Washington who goes for over 100 yards, and um, you get a touchdown catch from. T.J. Grambin ends up looking really good on the offensive side of the ball, even though it was only 13 points scored overall. So David Emerson had some pretty uh, pretty cool stuff happening in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so uh, David Emerson picks off a pass in the fourth quarter, and maybe not a lot of people knew this at the time, but they did. They certainly knew it afterwards with uh, David Emerson becoming the single-season uh, interception leader in school history for NC State. Now he's at nine interceptions right now, and they still have three games remaining on the schedule, so... Kind of a, you know, he's got a good chance of really just blowing up that record or potentially even reaching a record that was set uh, by Dre Bly of UNC, ironically. Uh, he has a chance of setting his single season record, which is 11 interceptions, which is the ACC conference record. Uh, and I haven't actually looked up the numbers on what the overall record is uh, for an entire season, but I don't, I don't think that's really reachable because it's probably around 13, 14, or 15 interceptions, but... He does have a very good shot of breaking an ACC record with three games remaining. You know, it kind of means that he has to get at least one interception in each game. But with the rate he's been on, it doesn't seem like you know people are still passing to uh, his side of the field. But if he gets one thrown his way, I think he's got a good shot of of getting close to this record, at least getting to ten, possibly eleven. Uh, but he's already won two ACC Player of the Week awards. Uh, he was named a Jim Thorpe Award finalist. And he still leads the nation in interceptions by at least two. I think the closest one to him is either six or seven. So he's still got a good shot of leading the nation and potentially winning Jim Thorpe Awards. So, you know, this guy's only a sophomore. And, you know, when you mention the name David Emerson on this campus, it it kind of, you know, people are already going to start knowing who he is. And he's still got two years left for NC State. So looks pretty good there. So our soccer team is playing tonight, right? Yeah, the men's soccer team. Uh, faces off with UNC tonight in the ACC tournament. They're actually having to go to Chapel Hill, unfortunately. Uh, they they haven't had the best season overall, but they have had one of the best players in the ACC in Nazmi Abadawi, and he scored the lone goal yesterday uh, in the game versus Virginia Tech and got them to advance. So, you know, the team comes away with a shutout and only gets one goal, but that's enough to get them uh, further into the ACC tournament. Now, that I don't think this team has uh, you know a shot at winning this game or potentially even winning overall. But it is very exciting for men's soccer, especially with a new head coach coming in. And uh, Kelly Finley gets him out there on the field. And, you know, 
They only had seven wins going into the ACC tournament overall, and most of them were behind uh, Nazmi Abadawi's leg. But he scores one goal last night, and that's all they needed to advance to playing UNC tonight. So the game started at 7 o'clock, so it's already going on right now during this show. So uh, hopefully everything works out there, and then uh, you guys can watch a big game this coming up weekend against BC. So uh, also, uh, just to kind of give a little uh, selfish plug to my show, uh, tomorrow night we start at 7 o'clock on Pulse of the Pack right here on WKNC. You guys can listen in, and we'll be talking a little bit more about this UNC football game and what it meant for the team as well as what it meant for the university. And the theme of our show tomorrow night is going to be the number five. So we're going to be pulling up uh, top fives of a bunch of different things as well as potentially playing a few songs with the number five in it. Uh, so a little, little bit of a Sesame Street theme this week rather than you know a, a, spe- a specific word, but we're going to pull out the number five and, and really good key in on that. Show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC. I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. Right now, we all use gasoline and fossil fuels to get around, but they won't last forever. Students right here at NC State are working to solve the problem of our oil addiction, and Nick Savage has our story. However, we're going to take a break first, and we'll be right back with more Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC 88.1. What if I told you that one of the most important courses you'll take this semester is only two and a half hours long? You can take it online whenever you want, and it'll make you a better person. You'll certainly be prepared to safeguard children that you may find yourself interacting with and, when the time comes, make you a better parent and citizen. Darkness to Light is a national organization committed to getting adults the tools they need to end child sexual abuse. You can be a part of the solution. Go to d2l.org for more information. This message has been a public service of 88.1 WKNC. Since 1903, one book has documented student life at North Carolina State University, the Agrimac Yearbook. From the State Fair and Chancellor Woodson's installation to the Hillsboro Heights and the football team's win at UNC, the Agrimac preserves each school year with full-color photographs and stories. To pre-order a copy, buy a senior ad, or for a preview of the 2011 book, visit ncsu.edu slash agrimac. This announcement is a public service of the Agrimac Yearbook and 88.1 WK. Car Competition is a program in which teams from colleges across North America are given a Chevy Malibu and must reduce its environmental impact. Divya, who works with the EcoCar as part of the outreach team, explains more. The entire program runs for a period of three years. So the first year is to figure out the architecture and get all the planning in place. We get the car at the end of the first year, and then we have two years to make the car a completely ready, you know, it should be ready to sell. It should be showroom ready. The current eco-car competition, in fact, is the second one of its kind. The first eco-car competition ended last year, and NC State also took part. 
The EcoCar 1 was the car that's in the garage now. It's a hybrid car that works on biodiesel as well as electricity. Technical team leader Jonathan Lohr explains that using biodiesel is quite helpful for the fuel efficiency of the vehicle. So biodiesel is 80% petroleum-based diesel, 20% vegetable oil. It has a higher density of energy than regular gasoline, so you can get more miles per gallon off of it that way. And even though the team has already completed EcoCar 1, the two competitions are completely separate and they must start from scratch for the second car. The second competition just started actually when the academic year began in September, I think. And so the team has a lot of work before them before they even get the car. There's still a whole lot of planning to do. We have to figure out how everything's going to be in the vehicle, how it all lays out, how electricity is going to move through the vehicle, how fuel is going to move through the vehicle. We have to make control strategies for the vehicle. We have to do fault analysis, figuring out, hey, if this breaks, what's going to happen? How can we fix that? How will the vehicle know and mitigate that fault? We're doing CAD. We're designing all the brackets that we're going to have to build. We may even start building some of these brackets just to make the swap quicker. So there is still a whole lot of work to be done this year. And the more work we do this year, the less work we do in the next two. And in year three, once the car is complete, the judging takes place at the finals competition. It's usually a pretty big deal where all the cars come together and the teams come together and they test the, the car and how much it runs and you know how much of a mileage it gives and what the carbon footprint is. In performance, the three categories of grading are emissions and energy consumption, performance, and consumer acceptability. Emissions and energy consumption is petroleum energy usage, how much electricity you use, where your energy is coming from. It's how much tailpipe emissions you have, your greenhouse gases, your particulate if you're running a diesel. Performance is 0 to 60, 50 to 70, braking, handling, lateral acceleration, and consumer acceptability is both dynamic and static. So that means while the vehicle's moving, noise it makes, how it rides, how comfortable it is, how many gadgets you have, how the car looks, falls under static. You, know, you have to show where you're going to stash the spare tire, where you're going to hold the jumper cables. And that's competition. That's about 75% of the total points. There's also, we have design reports throughout the year. There's a couple of other scoring events, including outreach. For the outreach category, the five-member outreach team works to spread the word about the project. What we're trying to do is, for the first year, since we don't have the car to work with and, you know, have the car to showcase and show people what we're actually working on, we're trying to spread the word about sustainable technologies, about NCSU's participation, uh, having a Facebook page, a Twitter page, trying to get people to get involved with, you know, either knowing about it and volunteering or just supporting the school and the cause. So we have events planned. We just had a Halloween event that we did last week as part of Sustainability Day, which happened at Witherspoon. And it was a lot of fun. We had tarot readings and we had people draw Brad the Eco Monster, who was our mascot for the event. And we had some fun activities. And a lot of people came up and asked us about what we were doing. And we just got the word out. It was good fun. John Paul Overton, another member of the outreach team, describes the team's plans for the homecoming football game. We're planning on uh, recycling at the homecoming game, Clemson and C State. And pretty much what we're going to do, uh, tailgating starts usually two, three hours before the game. We just get out there and we'll uh, recycle everyone's leftover cans and we'll actually be handing out uh, probably around like 500 koozies. We'll have um, the Rad Pack information on it, our Twitter, our Facebook, just really get our names out there and start promoting um, the EcoCar competition. To support the NCSU EcoCar team, be sure to find them on Twitter and Facebook at NCSU Rad Pack. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Thanks, Nick. 
And as you know, November 8th is the election day here in uh, the state of North Carolina. Now, across the state, there have been um, elections, Wendell Mayor, Wake Forest Mayor, the, the mayor of um, Durham. But the, the the race that we're watching most closely is the Wake County Board of uh, Education District 3 runoff. Um, we, a couple weeks ago, had a show that was almost completely dedicated to the Wake County Board of Dis- Elections um, uh, race. And, and the only one that was not uh, definitive in that election was the Kevin Hill, Heather Lasorda race that took place um, in District 3. Now, the only votes that we have in right now are the early voting um, votes that, that, that voters voted <laughs> that voters voted, um, and it it shows that Kevin Hill is in the lead right now with 67% of the vote. Heather Lasorda's 32% of the vote. Uh, however, only 1,300 votes have so far been tallied. So we'll keep you up to date on that until our show ends in the next half an hour or so. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back soon with more Eye on the Triangle only here on WKNC 88.1. WKNC.org slash schedule, our comprehensive list of DJs and shows. Log on, check out your favorite shows, and even view our DJ profile pages. You're just one click away from the best shows on WKNC. I had PTSD. Once I was back from Iraq, I was distant from everybody in my family. We had a reunion of our unit, and you'd hear these spouses say, Is your husband doing that? My husband's doing that, too. I thought it was just us. And really understanding that, hey, this is a common experience. I learned more to listen to what he was saying, and that made it easier for me to understand where his pain was coming from. Resources are available for military families. Learn more at realwarriors.net. Aquí va un mensaje para todas las mamás. ¿Conoces el índice de masa corporal de tus hijos? Al comprender su índice de masa corporal, es el primer paso para determinar si están obesos, con sobrepeso o saludables. Este es importante porque la obesidad infantil podría causar enfermedades como diabetes y problemas de corazón. Consigue consejos para ayudar a tus hijos a evitar la obesidad infantil. Visita letsmove.gov. Este mensaje es un servicio de 88.1. Andrew Jackson is arguably one of the toughest presidents in the history of the United States. Possibly he's also one of the most under- misunderstood. Our contributor Dave Klemp tries to tell Jackson's story in a new segment called People of North Carolina. Andrew Jackson was the seventh president of the United States, and he was from North Carolina. This is Dave, and I'd like to welcome you to the new serial segment for Eye on the Triangle, People of NC. Jackson was born on March 15, 1767. No one is entirely sure where he was born. All we know for sure is that he was and that this occurred near the border of North and South Carolina. The Declaration of Independence was signed when Andrew was just nine years old, and he decided to join the American militia at the age of 13. Both of his brothers were killed either in battle or imprisonment by the British. His mother also died of cholera while working as a nurse for the army, leaving Andrew without any immediate family at the age of 14 he decided to finish his education and became a teacher. When he figured out that he didn't like that, he became a frontier lawyer in Tennessee and excelled at that. He started a career in politics as the Attorney General of Tennessee and proceeded to serve Tennessee in both houses of the United States Congress, although not at the same time. He returned to military life as the Major General of the Tennessee Volunteers. 
He led his force into victory against the Creek Indians at Horseshoe Creek in March of 1814, and he became Major General of the entire American Army in May of the same year. You might ask, Dave, what was his greatest military triumph? Well, the funny thing about that is, his greatest triumph in battle came in January of 1815 in the Battle of New Orleans, nearly a full month after the British had agreed to recognize the U.S. as a separate nation again, ending the War of 1812. He just hadn't received the memo yet at the time of the battle, during which he earned the nickname Old Hickory because of his steadfastness under fire. We can also thank Jackson for the state of Florida, which he invaded during the First Seminole War. Once he had, th over th Once he had overthrown the Spanish governor, it only took a little bit of convincing on the part of the U.S. government to get Spain to give us Florida. He made his return into politics after being appointed military governor of Florida in 1821. He went back to the U.S. Senate in 1823 before running for president. He lost the election of 1824, which is called the stolen election because he won the popular vote, but he made up for it by winning the next two elections in 1828 and 1832. His first term was marked by his upholding of the integrity of federal law over the states, South Carolina in particular, and for his Indian removal policy. His second term is notable because Jackson removed the institution of the National Bank because he believed it held too much power, which was highly controversial. One of the things that Jackson is most known for is his personality. He was known for being a very true friend and a fierce enemy. He was once shot in a duel, and the bullet struck so close to his heart that doctors were never able to safely remove it. His opponents in the 1832 election referred to Jackson as a jackass, an image which Jackson claimed he liked and which the Democratic Party adopted as its official symbol. Jackson was also the first president to survive an assassination attempt. The attacker drew a pistol which misfired at point-blank. He then drew a second pistol which also misfired. By this time, several men were able to constrain the man while Jackson brandished his cane and proceeded to beat his attacker with it. He retired to his home in Nashville, called the Hermitage, after finishing his second term, although he still remained involved in politics on a smaller scale. Old Hickory, perhaps one of our nation's fiercest presidents, died at his home on June 8, 1845. For I on the Triangle, I'm Dave, and I hope you've learned something. listening to On the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee here with an update for the District 3 race between Joe Hill and Heather Lasordo. With 14 out of 26 precincts reporting, Kevin Hill is still in the lead with 53% of the vote, while Heather Lasordo trails with 46%. However, expect those numbers to change as more poll results come in. However, we will not be able to bring them to you because I on the Triangle is now over. Um, I want to thank all of our contributors, and I want to thank you, the listener. If you have comments, questions, or concerns, or want to submit a story idea, give us a call at 515-2401 or email us at publicaffairs at wknz.org. Please tune in next week for more news from NC State and beyond. And for I'm the Triangle, my name is Chris Chaffee. <laughs>